What's up, Bucks fans? It's been a while, but we're back here at Pirate Parlay, brought to you by the Sick Podcast. I'm your host, JC Allen, bringing you. We're going to go over all the stuff that's been happening the last couple weeks. There's been coaching change. Um, <laughs> the offensive coordinator uh, has left, and he's gone to a new team, so they brought in a new one. Uh, there's a deadline that just passed today. Free agency is right around the corner. The draft, the combine, senior bowl, so much going on in the past couple weeks. The Super Bowl, and we'll get into all of that here. Um, on this show, kind of touch base on a little bit of everything. Um, and then we'll keep on going throughout this offseason, breaking it down, uh, free agency, a little bit more combine talk, draft talk. I'm going to get into a little bit of draft talk today. I got my uh, first mock draft coming out this week, so maybe we'll touch on that as well. But I got a special guest, one of my colleagues over at uh, Sports Illustrated Bucks Game Day, Colin Halboom, is going to be joining us. So uh, sit tight. We'll be right back. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. The Sick Podcast. Pirate Parlay. Battle intercepted. Picked off of the end zone. Bucks are going to beat the Chiefs. We're the champions of the world. The sickest Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast. It's going to be sick. Start with the with the first thing, uh, bringing Colin in here uh, again. One of my colleagues. Uh, we were actually briefly colleagues before, way back in the day at Bucks Report. Uh, happy to be joining him now uh, over at Sports Illustrated Bucks Game Day. Pumps out great stuff, um, you know, from opinion pieces. Even the quick hitters are always well written. He's got his own podcast, too. Uh, he's been on hiatus for a minute, but we're also going to be starting one up at SI uh, Bucks Game Day, which I'm sure he'll be a, a, a key part of as well. So without further ado, Colin, how you doing? Doing well, JC. Good to see you, man. Uh, hope the offseason's treating you well. Nice to to be here on the pirate pirate parlay podcast, man. Yeah, you know, off season doesn't stop. It's almost more busy than the week because there's so much stuff you got to kind of come up with, you know, um, as far as internally. So, um, well, other than that, my son started football, so that's been fun, um, and uh, just been having a, you know, trying to catch up with everything else because the football season requires so much of your attention. Not that the off season doesn't, but there's. You know, there's no beast like the football season. But how's how's your offseason treating you so far? How's everything going? Yeah, same deal, man. You know, uh, trying to catch up in in my real life work outside of football, right? Because you know, uh, that that takes a fair bit of time to catch up after the season. But now with the draft around the corner and combine coming up and all this stuff, we're we're right back full steam ahead in terms of NFL coverage. So, yeah, you said it, man. Yeah, absolutely. And the last time we were on this pod was a couple weeks ago. Um, we uh, we took a little bit of a hiatus there. Uh, my producers were living it up at the Super Bowl, making all at, making all sorts of connects during Media Week. Um, so we took a little bit of a break there. But we're back now. But the last thing we talked about uh, on this podcast is will Dave Canales leave? <laughs> well. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and he did. He went over to the Carolina Panthers as the head coach, brought a few coaches with him, uh, bring in Harold Goodwin, uh, the assistant head coach, and the run game coordinator. He also brought over Joe Gilbert, the offensive line coach, and, of course, Brad Idzik, uh, wide receivers coach, over as his offensive coordinator. So uh, quite a bit of – quite a few moves uh, on, on that coaching staff, not to mention they had a retirement, too, on, on special teams with um, – Colin, I can't think of his name right now. Help me out here. Um, shoot. Oh, it was a special teams coach, Keith Armstrong. Keith Armstrong. Keith Armstrong. I would confuse him. And, him so and he retired as well. 
<laughs> he retired as well, opening up a few spots on this team. Uh, they also had David Riley as well to go be the tight ends coach for the commanders. He was more of an offensive assistant uh, type deal, assistant wide receivers coach, you know, helping out there and, and everywhere, but up in the box. So the Bucks have had a few coaching moves so far in the offseason. I first want to get your reaction to Dave Canales leaving um, to be the head coach of the Panthers, and then we'll kind of get into this coaching staff. Some of the guys they brought in, it's not complete yet, but just some of the guys they brought in. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to frame it um, any other way than it being a bit of a shot, um, not the good kind, like a bit of a disappointment for the Buccaneers. I mean, Canales made a lot of strides alongside Baker Mayfield throughout the year. You know, his first time calling plays. I thought as the, as the season went on, he really improved a lot. It's a big reason, of course, why he finds himself now um, in the head coaching seat over at Carolina. Uh, but but it's 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 unfortunate, you know, just the continuity factor. It was quite exciting to imagine the steps that could have been taken um, with another year and a full off season um, to build off of. That said, this is the NFL. And if you're doing a good job, like if you're getting coaches poached after one season, their first year calling plays, you're doing something well from a hiring perspective. And Jason Light and the Bucks front office have done a good job of that, obviously. Um, I think Canales is a, a great hire for Carolina just based on on the Bryce Young oh, yeah. situation. You know, just a guy who's just like exudes positivity and enthusiasm. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen a coach quite like it. Baker talked about it recently you know, about how that's the biggest thing Dave Canales will bring. Well, that's exactly what Bryce Young needs, I think, is some positivity. And um, Dave Canales is going to bring that that enthusiasm day in, day out. And obviously, he's going to bring with him um, a growing arsenal of plays and, and offensive schematics that he's continuing to build on as a play caller now with that one season under his belt. So good good hire for the Panthers, tough blow for the Buccaneers, but obviously uh, – they, they quickly moved on, and as you mentioned, I mean, the, the whole coaching staff is continuing to take shape, but Liam Cohen coming in as the offense OC, I like that hire um, from the what I do know about him, and um, I, I'm excited to see what he's going to do. Yeah, I think, you know, you kind of the, the biggest, you know, kind of bum out thing is that second year, right? If Baker's back and everyone in the offense um, having that continuity, Baker's never had it in his entire career, really. Um, and now it, there it goes again with, with Dave leaving. I think he'll be a heck of a coach. Uh, we had him on the podcast earlier this season. So you guys know how detailed he is. Uh, his press conference was great. I, I think, you know, Panthers are still a few years away, but they got a good one in Dave Canales. But Liam Cohen is is a good fit too, I think, because he's from that same. It's going to be mostly the same offense. I mean, there's going to be things that he likes to do differently. Um, there's going to be cer certainly different terminology um, in the way that he calls things and such. But you know, one th one bigger upside too is he has experience as an offensive coordinator, play calling. Uh, he's done it two years in Kentucky. Um, he's didn't do it. He did a few games. Um, with the Rams, Sean McVay let him call a few games with the Rams uh, back in 2022. But I mean, that team wasn't indicative of what anything is because they were down. Like I think they went through 14 offensive linemen that season. Uh, Stafford got injured. They're down to obviously Baker Mayfield because Wolford got hurt, um, and their other backup got hurt, and Cooper Cup was out, and it was just a disaster of a season. So. Um, you know, I, I really like that hire for a continuity standpoint. It's going to, you know, it's like I said, things are going to change, but not too much. And then he brought in some other good hires I thought were interesting as well. And Kevin Carberry for offensive line last year was the assistant with the Saints, but was the offensive line coach in that disastrous 
2022 season for the Rams. And, you know, he got the best out of what he could with that team and what they had left available. Um, I, I think, you know, and that was the year Whitworth had retired to the year before. So they were really young on that team and, and banged up uh, having guys start out of place and et cetera. So uh, I think he'll be able to get a lot out of this offensive line. It's a different voice too than they've heard. So that's always good. As you saw a lot of turnover on the coaching offensive side of the ball last year. One thing that stayed the same was that offensive line room. And now with a new voice in there, I think it's going to help be heard a little bit louder. Uh, not that no shots towards Gilbert are good doing. So I thought they were great coaches. Um, they brought in special teams coach uh, Thomas McGahey, who was with the Giants last year. Um, <laughs> Giants fans were relieved to have him gone, kind of in the same sense that Bucks fans were relieved to have Keith Armstrong gone. But I think if you dig under the surface there a little bit, I mean, there was really nothing to work with with, with the Giants. And I think the Bucks have, you know, pending obviously some signings, uh, have, have a lot of things to work with on this team as far as special teams. You, you got to like the Gunners they have in Zion McCollum and Josh Hayes, who led the NFL in special teams tackles. Camarda is one of the best. I expect them to bring Triner back, who's one of the best long snappers, and set. And hopefully, you know, they they have that opportunity to bring Chase McLaughlin back. And I think they're all set in that area as well. Um, and then they brought back a couple other guys. They brought in a couple other guys, and you just wrote about them the other day. So I'll kind of let you break down what you learned about them when you were researching, writing about them, as far as the uh, uh, the wide receivers coach and the um, assistant O line coach. Assistant O line coach. That's right. Yeah, so I'll start with the assistant online coach, Brian Picucci. Um, he was with Liam Cohen over at Kentucky, and uh, he actually, he's been around. I mean, he coached Liam Cohen when he was a quarterback at UMass. Um, <laughs> and in case anyone doesn't know, Cohen Cohen was rocking number 12 back in those days because he was a huge Brady fan. So that's kind of a cool little wrinkle to it all. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, assistant O-line coach, I think obviously he, he um, Cohen believes he has a voice that could be valuable with this team. Um, I don't think the expectations are, are anything crazy. I much more intrigued by Brian McClendon, who is the wide receivers coach that yes. um, ton of SEC experience and just big time college experience for that matter. Uh, majority of his, his time, he's, he's 40 years old. And the majority of his experience has been as a pass game coordinator, wide receivers co coach, or both. Um, he spent most of his time at Georgia. Obviously, we all know the Georgia Bulldogs program and, um, right. you know, how reputable that is. Uh, and then he spent he spent some time at Oregon as well. He's also spent time at South Carolina. So big time college football experience. And I think this guy seems like a real bright, bright coach. Um, he was named the interim head coach actually at Oregon where he was and Georgia yeah. he was an associate head coach there at a time like that pretty impressive um, resume. If you ask me for a 40 year old, who's now making the step up to the NFL. Um, I'm excited to see what he's going to bring filling in for, for Idzik, your boy. And um, I think it's a nice addition on paper. I mean, anytime we're talking about coaches, new coaches, like we, we don't know them personally. We don't know what they're saying in the All locker right. room. So it's tough to offer a credible opinion beyond what you hear people say about them and, and the opportunities they've been given. Uh, Cause it's all behind the, behind the scenes stuff. Right. So that's one of the challenges when it comes to forecasting new coaches as a media member or fan for that matter. Right. Until you get to know them, get to talk to them a little bit. It is that kind of uncertainty, but you know, as you mentioned, was a running backs coach, uh, coach Todd Gurley 
was a wide receivers coach, Coach Debo Samuel. So he's had his hands on some impactful players in the league. And I think if you look at the Bucks coaching staff, it's safe to say I think Thad Lewis is going to be back as a quarterback's coach and John Van Dam will return as tight end coach while Skip Pete returns as the running back coach. I want to say that the offensive staff is pretty much set. There might be a situation where they bring a run game coordinator or maybe a true passing game coordinator and let um, McLennan kind of focus more on the wide receivers. So um, if anything, I think those are the two spots that may still Liam Cole may still want to bring someone in. But for the most part, I think your offensive coaching staff is set. They haven't announced something, which they usually do. They still haven't announced the two hires, the two recent hires as well. Um, so agreed to terms is probably likely to happen. Um, but once they do, they'll announce their full staff. Um, and like I said, I think I think they're pretty much where they want to be, give or take one or two assistant coaches, you know, down the line. Yeah, I I hope you're right about Thad Lewis. I think that would be big to keep him around. And you know, he he was sniff getting some some looks for OC jobs potentially. So he's generally viewed as a bright mind around the league. So there would be some continuity there for Baker Mayfield. Um, and again, I mean. Baker having worked with Liam Cohen, sorry, back to Cohen here for a second. Like seeing Baker show up at the facility when Cohen was introduced obviously speaks to uh, his confidence and and belief in Cohen. I think it's pretty obvious from hearing him speak that he he liked the hire. And I'm sure if anything, he probably had some input on it. So, um, you know, I think I think all things considered, despite the unfortunate nature of Canales's departure, I think the Bucks have done well to uh, to to adjust on the fly if you will yeah i i think you're right too and and the problem you know that's that's kind of the problem right is when you have a defensive head coach you're usually looking for offensive coordinators within a year or two um and that could simply be the case as well with liam cohen uh potentially we're not sure but i think you know you mentioned baker again and i think it's key to bring up that you know he was asked at the pro bowl have you had any input and you know you know, he said, yeah, you know, they've asked me, you know, especially the guys who know what do I know about him, what I think is he a good guy. But, you know, they have their own room of people doing the scouting work as well. So I thought that was interesting point where, you know, they're asked about Cohen and then him being at the facility. Remember, he's a free agent. I mean, he doesn't need to be there, but he's still there working out. I think it's interesting to see that and maybe even telling that Mayfield's still around the organization, even though he's a free agent. Um, and expected to be one. I think it's telling too, for that matter, Greg Gaines, who played under Cohen as well, in in uh, with the Rams, he's still in the in the facility. Um, they had their locker cleanout day the day after their loss to the, to the Lions. They're not, they don't need to go back to the facility for for anything. I mean, they're done until it's required in April for them to show up for offseason workouts. And then that's not even required. That's voluntarily the, the mandatory minicamp in May is really when they require to be at the facility so that they're still hanging around is good but i think it bodes well to what i want to get into next and you know a day today came by it's it's monday so it'll probably be tuesday when you listen to this but um the day came by today with the deadline february 19th for baker mayfield mike evans um antoine winfield jr and um a large portion of the other bucks uh, it looks um matt filer levante david and greg Gaines all had void years void out today um, obviously Mike Evans with the largest one, $12.2 million. The rest of them all add up to a hefty $2.7 million in dead cap hit uh, that the Bucks will have in 2024. It was either take that or split that money now and kind of eat the rest of it next year. They're taking that lump sum this year, much like they did last year. But 
there was some hope and some optimism around Bucks fans that they would be able to get deals done with these guys and preserve that cap space for this season. They didn't do it. And, um, you know, from reports came out today that there hasn't been much communication. They're still talking in good faith, but not really negotiating contract terms. And that most likely both Baker and Mike Evans will test free agency. Do you think that's the right move instead of signing them either before today or signing them, you know, prior to free agency? Or do you think the the right move, which they've done with Levante David, Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean, let these guys test free agency, find out what their market's worth, and then bring them back. Is it the right move to let Baker and Evans test free agency? I think so. I think for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans, um, if there's anyone you could have the utmost faith in, I think it's this front office and how they've handled free agency. I mean, Jason Light has just been so consistent. Mike Greenberg, you know, Jackie Davidson, everyone who's contributed behind the scenes, um, Spy Tech, all those guys. But um, yes, I mean, I think they're going to use the uh, free agent shopping, if you will, particularly of Mike Evans uh, to to develop a framework for what a contract's going to need to look like once they see what sort of interest from a dollar value is going to be uh, expressed in, in Mike because he's going to have suitors. We all know that Houston Texans, Chiefs, there's lots of teams that could benefit from having a player of Mike's caliber and his unique style of play of course um you know with baker i like like i really think it's damn near a foregone conclusion that baker is going to be back and he he has like he has all but said that i mean he was doing his his media circle circuit um during the pro bowl and after that and i mean he is just glowing about the tampa bay buccaneers the opportunity they gave him and the general culture that's been established in that locker room and i think that's something that maybe we don't even talk about enough is how good a guys uh, there are the core of this team. And um, I think, I think it all, I think Mike Evans is the major domino here and that, you know, that the Buccaneer, like w- what that number is going to be, how, how big of a bag could he get thrown at him by the Houston Texans? Um, if they're going to knock the bucks out of the water, then yeah, that could throw a major wrench in their plans. But I think Jason light and his team are confident that they're willing to go, pretty high to retain Mike Evans. Um, but they just probably want to do the, do him a solid and let him see exactly what interest it, there is from other teams and then use that as a framework to step their game up and see how high they need to go in order to, to retain him. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, with Mike, I think it's more guaranteed years, first two years, uh, guaranteed dollars. What's that going to look like? Um, he's going to be 30 um, in this, this 31, I think actually this, this coming August, um, it's his birthday, so he's typically on that that side where receivers start to to trend downwards. I say that as he came off one of his best seasons as a pro, <laughs> put up another thousand yards, fourteen hundred yards, and led the league, tied the league in touchdowns. Um, but typically, that's when that happens, and you don't want to be upside down on deals. They have to think about Godwin as well, uh, who's a free agent after this season and has a hefty. Uh, cap hit. I think it's I think it's twenty million dollars, twenty five million dollars. I have it written down. Let me see. If I it's at least it. twenty. Yeah, yeah. It, it's I think nineteen million dollars. So Almost they have 20. close to it. Nineteen million dollars in dead cap money for Godwin next year as well. So you got to kind of figure that if you're spending that much money for Mike for next year and a second year guarantee. I mean that's gets costly. Um, but I think you know. 
when you look at it, what it comes down to, I think it is too, really between two teams. I think other teams will throw their names in the ring. I think the Jets will, will inquire. I know Carolina will. Don't tell me how I know. <laughs> um, I know that the the Chiefs will probably look at it, and, and probably a few dozen other teams, maybe the maybe a team like the Patriots who have some money, maybe a team like Chicago who's got some money to spend. Um, but when I look at it, I, I think Houston playing – in you know, close to Galveston, where he was raised, finished his career there, close to his family, I think would be something that would intrigue them. They've got the cap space, and much like Florida, there's no state income tax, so you don't even. That's the biggest thing there. So, if I, I mean, if it was between the Chiefs and or New York, right? If it was between New York, which state income tax is crazy, or even a California team versus Florida. Tampa Bay, I think that would be a, a big factor, right? Okay, they're going to give me 30. Well, I'll give you 28, you know, which I, I still think is a lot. And we'll get into like how much, but um, it, it it doesn't matter when it's a, with the Texans because it's the same thing. The dollar amount doesn't change. And, you you know, guys have taken, you know, that I think um, Jamel Dean said it and Carlton Davis said it, you know, you know, that, that plays a factor into it. So, um, with Baker, I think it's fascinating because I think there will be teams that throw their names and again, Patriots, maybe Atlanta. Um, there's a maybe Minnesota might might you know kind of look around and see what's going on with Baker. But at the end of the day, I think you're right. I think it, it's not even so much the dollars and cents and the coaching they brought in. I think it's the culture and the camaraderie. I mean, him and Tristan are having a baby two weeks apart. Like those, they're best friends and they love the area and it's a great place to raise children as someone who's doing it myself. Like I think all the, the extra stuff that Tampa offers, I think is what sells Baker. And it just comes down to what do they do? You know, is, is it that 25 a year, that Geno Smith deal, or is it creep up closer to that 32, 35 a, a year deal? I don't think it gets anywhere near 40. I really don't. I think it's somewhere between 25, 32. And I think Evans is probably right around 24, 25. I don't think anyone's going to want to go higher than that. What are your thoughts on their contract? Uh, what do you think they're going to get? And then on top of that, with Antoine Winfield Jr., um, report came out today by Rick Stroud that that the Bucks are most likely to tag him, whether that's a placeholder for an extension or whether they just feel like, you know, kind of show it to me again another season and then we'll, we'll talk. But uh, what are your thoughts on on dollar contract wise for those two. And then, then uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. I think, I think 20, I think the numbers you laid out were very accurate. And I think you gotta, to go over 25 mil for a receiver um, at his age, like, you know, at that point, I think you maybe got to pull yourself out of the running um, in terms of Mike Evans. I would have trouble seeing the Buccaneers go beyond $25 million mark. And I think that's, you know, as you said, that that'll be the low end of what Baker's going to be looking at. I'm hoping it is closer to that. He has insinuated his willingness to, um, he said it without saying it that ultimately that he would take a discount if it means he can bring back a guy like Mike Evans. So there is irony involved in us discussing them being around the same dollar value per season. Um, if they were to resign, it's going to come down to what they want. Um, you know, Mike loves it in Tampa too. His agent, Derek Gilmore, I'm curious about that relationship and, and what Derek Gilmore's feelings are because I mean, we've talked about culture here. Mike Evans has been the epitome of a professional in the modern era of wide receivers who are often so outspoken, you know, that diva wide receiver tag. Um, Evans is not that this guy like he has sacrificed so much 
for for winning and and his sacrifices led in in many ways to mm. their Super Bowl victory that season welcoming in Antonio Brown he was dealing with um he he, he was dealing with um like in the Jameis days just like uh Deshaun Watson you know causing a ruckus trying to like bring toxicity into the locker room Mike Evans put his head down tried to keep him under control try, like he's just always right. doing the right thing you know he's he's loyal so um, it was a little bit out of character, I think, the way it was at least portrayed in the media about their, the contract demands coming into this season, knowing the Buccaneers were strapped, um, having, you know, dealing with the repercussions of the, the Tom Brady era and kicking the money down the road like they had. So I'm curious about his agent's role in all this, but I do think, um, I, I think Mike Evans wants to be back, but I think it's got to be, it's got to be Tampa or, or Houston. I think with the whole contract thing, I think that was such a power play move by his agent too, just because if you look at it, the Bucks only had really one option to to do besides extend Evans to bring his cap number down, and that was to restructure Shaq Barrett, which they know they didn't want to do because they know they were most likely moving on from him this season, and they couldn't come to sort of sort of a deal, and then at that point, restructure was kind of off the table because of the bad blood between at least maybe the agency and, and the front office um, for, for going public like that. So, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, um, you're the bucks probably don't want to pay anywhere near 25 million. Um, I think they'd love to get him back at like 23 million, but it really, like, like you said, and like we've been saying, it really just depends on how big the bag someone else like the Texans or another team throws at him and how much that truly means to him. But he loves Bake. He loves the team. He loves the area. He's, you know, he gives, gives back this area tremendously just as much as he does, if not as more, uh, especially during in-season than he does in Galveston, so Houston area. So I, I think my, at the end of the day, Mike will be back. It might not be enough. It might be a number that we in the media wince at, like oh. Um, but at the end of the day, it's the Glazers' money. It's not ours. So really, who cares? <laughs> yeah. um, on that note, if Mike does leave, we'll switch over to a little bit of draft talk, and then we're out. Then we'll get get out of here. Um, if Mike does leave, is there a wide receiver in the draft so far? I know you're just starting to dive into it. That you think would be a good uh, replacement, or even if Mike sticks around. Remember, they've got. Trey Palmer, six-round pick, did show some 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 good stuff, but it looks like they're going to be moving Godwin back into the slot. Um, so you'll need another outside receiver if, unless you think Trey Palmer can handle it. Um, or you're going to need one to replace Godwin next year anyways with a guy who might have some outside slot versatility. Yeah, man. I mean, it's interesting, right? Like, like if you're talking about the big-name guys, I mean, th- this is a tremendous class, especially at the top in terms of the wide receiver position for sure. Uh, obviously, you know, Marvin Harrison and Roma Dunze and uh, Malik Neighbors and those guys. But there's also oh, talent to be found gone. a little. Yeah, lo- way gone. Um, you know, McConkey's an interesting one. But like you said, you got Godwin moving back to the slot, which I like, by the way. Um, yes. Really 100%. smart. One of, the, one of the smartest guys, John Ledyard, who we both know, um, is so great. And he, he was a big advocate for Canales, you know, using Godwin. Um, more outside as well to mix it up. But I tell you, Godwin wasn't didn't look as comfortable as he had once he switched to that slot role. I think this season yeah. proved to us that um, that he's better suited there and that that's his, you know, his best position. So if you're talking Mike Evans replacement, let's just say hypothetically the Buccaneers wanted to like have a similar mold of player. I mean, it's hard, you're never going to find 
Mike Evans. He's so unique. But Keon Coleman at Florida State is a very contentious prospect, who, And, of course, you know, so many Florida State Seminole fans um, follow the Buccaneers. He's an interesting guy. But, like, that's not my bag either. I'm not – I think for the Buccaneers, I I just don't see them doing a snap reaction at that position, you know. Um, I think they have a lot of other needs. And I think they understand the importance of that. And I think they're higher on Palmer maybe than we realize. Yeah, I think, you know, it's difficult because where they're drafting at 26, there's so few, there's about a handful of guys that you can maybe look at and say, eh, I guess I feel comfortable there with them, depending on what they do in the off season. And, you know, they don't have much cap space, so don't expect a Brian Burns or or any anything like that. And we'll I'm going to have a uh, Brad Spielger Spielberger on here from Pro Football Focus, um, and he's going to break down some of the p- potential free agent targets and talk about the Bucks free agent. So we'll get into that a little bit later. But I think if you're looking about guys who could potentially, you know, come in, even if they do keep Mike, um, a guy who really intrigues me is Troy Franklin from Oregon. I really like what he's got. He's a big body receiver, burner, good route runner can play inside outside and i think you know if they're they're sitting there at 26 and they're looking at the board and saying oh i really well we don't need to tackle and this is a good year to need to tackle in the in the the late 20s um they could use a guard but do they want to spend the first round draft pick on an offensive lineman when light is so good at developing second and third round guys i'm not sure they want to do that either you look at some of the edge rushers a chop robinson from penn state a darius robinson from missouri um, a guy like Braylon Trice from Washington. Do you want to go to Washington again after? You know, he was, led the led the um, NCAA in pressures, but didn't deliver when it was time to. You kind of have that in Joe Tryon Sharinka, maybe a Chris Braswell, but I'm not sure he's a great fit as a 4-3 outside linebacker. So, like, you know, you look at this the position there, maybe cornerback, you know. Um, that's, that's a spot they could look at, and there should be a few cornerbacks there. Uh, there is a potential potential possibility that they either trade or release Carlton Davis guy's been banged up. Well, you know, since he's came in the league, hasn't been able to stay healthy and he's got a very affordable cap hit for a team that might want to bring him on. Uh, probably could get like a fourth rounder in return for him. If they did trade him, uh, maybe a cornerback, Kool-Aid McKinstry, Ennis Rakestraw. Um, you know, I think uh, some of these guys have improved their, their, their stock where they're not there. You could go real crazy and get TJ Tampa in Tampa. You know, all those guys should be around there at that spot. Um, but it, it's difficult, I feel like, that this year at 26. And we'll know more, obviously, because free agency will start and they'll start to sign some guys. But, you know, if you had to go a certain position right now in the draft at 26, where are you leaning towards for this Bucks team going in blind and not knowing what moves they make in free agency? Yeah, I mean, I think he got a look, edge rusher, or interior O-line. I mean, the thing, I'm with you. Jason Light certainly takes a lot of pride in finding guys to be high-quality starters in those middle rounds, uh, at least not on on the first day. Um, but I think there's a couple real real difference makers who can play center or guard in Jackson Powers Johnson, Graham Barton. Even Troy Fontenou uh, out of Washington, he, he, he's a played tackle there like Barton at Duke. Uh, but projects most likely to shift inside at the NFL level. I mean, if one of those guys are there, man, I would have a lot of trouble passing them up because, I mean, first off, you need to, you need a left guard. And then um, I just – I think Hainsey has shown us he is not quite a starting caliber. Like, he's starting caliber, 
but I think it would be in their best interest to find someone with a little more pop at that position and instead have him as a valuable reserve guy, you know, with, with great versatility, swing guard, swing tackle, whatever it may be. Um, so those are some names, you know, Jackson Powers, Johnson, Graham Barton, Troy Fontenot, and then the edge rushers. If one of those guys were to slip, like I know crazier things have happened, but Liatu Latu, at a, you, like Run that, would be, you know, and like, Chop Robinson, you're betting more on the traits out of Penn State University. I mean, right. you know, that's an intriguing prospect. But again, as you mentioned with the Washington kid, like there is some Joe Tryon Shoyinka-ness to him as well, which, you know. So in terms of cornerback, it's interesting you bring that up um, because there are a bunch of guys, I think, who are really talented, who have potential first round grades on a lot of boards the one guy who's kind of getting swept under the rug in that regard in my opinion is cooper DeGene, uh out of iowa um, oh, he's flying up the boards right now man yeah he well i'm not hearing any chat like like i don't know man there's a the, the it's quarter quiet the, chatter but he's like there I, i've seen some mocks that i have him going top 10 now because of wow versatility. wow ah. well that, that like he seems like he seems like a tall bolts guy to me you could literally play that guy any spot you want. Tobles loves versatility. He's a dog. He supports the run better than any corner in this in this class. He's the best run supporting corner. He's just a football player. So right. if Cooper DeGene was somehow there at 26, I would have trouble not running that pick in. But there's other guys, too, who could be around there. Nate Wiggins out of Clemson. You mentioned Kool-Aid McKinstry and Rakestraw. Um, TJ yeah. Tampa maybe in the next round is a guy who I actually like as well, and the name obviously fits. So... There's going to be options. It's going to come down to what what this scouting department values as the best on their board. As always, they are a, a prime candidate to move down as well if they don't if they don't feel that one of the players there is worthy of a first round investment. We talked receivers earlier. If Brian Thomas Jr., who is Malik Neighbors' running mate at LSU, um, if he if he's still around, and let's say they they have an inclination they're going to lose out on Mike Evans, that could be good value at the receiver position there. Um, I mean, or why don't you get real freaky with it and move up and take Brock Bowers? Because this team needs a tight end. And uh, I would be about that, I'll tell you right now. So there's going to be a lot of different options. And I look forward to, you know, some of the chatter. Guys like JC here who are so well-connected with the franchise, we're going to hear some rumblings as it approaches. And generally, you know, a lot of those rumblings, where there's smoke, there's fire. And I think we got some pretty good access plugged in through guys like yourself. I think there's three guys you mentioned there, which I think will all be long gone, unfortunately. But if other than there, you're making that phone call and running that card up to the podium. And I think that's Latte Latu, Cooper DeGene, and Jackson Powers um, Johnson. I think all three of those guys will be gone, unfortunately, after the week that Jackson had in the Senior Bowl. I think he's gone. As I said, I've seen Cooper DeGene shoot up the boards. And the only thing that's that's preventing Latu, I think, from becoming a top 10, top 12 pick is medicals. You know, he's had some medical injuries in, in the past, and I think that's the only thing that's stalling him. Otherwise, you look at the guy, and he's just been phenomenal. Um, you're just playing yeah. on two bad legs, you know? Yeah. If I may, I, like, I've heard rumblings of Jackson Powers Johnson having potentially red flag medicals in his background. I mean, yeah. you know. It's going to be interesting. I, we got the combine next week. We'll find out more about all that stuff. Combine will be big for that. We'll see if anything pops up there. There's always going to be guys who slide, though, right? Um, oh, yeah. You know, I'm always Jermaine Johnson out of Florida State when he slipped. The edge rusher ended up getting drafted by the Jets. But like that was a guy I was like, oh, my gosh, he's here. But um, the Buccaneers didn't jump on it. And those happen every year. 
Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's going to be fun. I can't wait. Draft season is one of my favorite times. I'm actually currently right now, if you guys um, want to check it out over at Sports Illustrated Bucks Game Day, I'm doing a position-by-position outlook. I just finished up with the offensive side of the ball. We'll be moving on to the defensive side of the ball. And then right after that, immediately after that, the next day I'm starting my free agency outlook. Uh, that's going to run straight up until pretty much the eve of free agency. And it's going to have you know at least three players at each position that the Bucks could target. Um, you know, to add to the roster. Um, don't expect names like Josh Allen or Brian Burns, but like realistic options, I feel like that would be good fits to the system that they could afford and bring under the cap. Um, and I'm going to cap that off the day before the tampering period starts with my own free agent, um, you know, Bucks mock offseason. So I'm going to sign my own free agents, going to sign the Bucks players back who I want to bring back, uh, do another mock draft there after my. My you know first mock draft comes out, so I'll have all that. Uh, I'm excited. I've been doing that. I've been doing that for when I when I was a kid back in like fresh. Uh, I was like junior year, senior year of high school. I found this website called Football's Future. If anyone knows of that, whatever. But they did mock off seasons, and I've been stuck on that since like 2004, 2005. I did one for the. And obviously, you guys know my background, but I did it for the Patriots for years and years and years. And then I did it my first year at Bucks Report. I did it when I first broke into this, um, you know, headed into that that um, that first draft. Actually, nailed it too. I got a, I got I think I've got Worfs, Trask. I've got a few or no, so not Worfs. It was Trask. I got uh, JTS and I got uh, someone else on that. I forget, but I nailed that. Um, and then obviously with Peter Report to do the Bucks battle plan um, last two years with them. So it's something that I've been doing that I want to continue to do. Um, with this outlet and maybe I don't know maybe some of my other my other colleagues will join on and put out theirs too which would be a lot of fun but I teased the mock draft I'm going to get it real quick let you guys know I'm not going to give you any breakdown on these guys I'm just going to give it to you I'm going to get Colin's opinion because the breakdown on why I think these guys fit I might give you a sentence too uh, why I think these guys fit and why they'd be a good spot and why I've kind of fallen in love with these guys um We'll all be in-depth in the breakdown with stats and all that stuff, highlight videos, everything you need. But without further ado, um, let me bring up this um, mock draft here that I'm getting out, to, getting ready to put out tomorrow. So first round, I went cornerback with Enos Rakestraw in Missouri. Um, I just think this kid screams Todd Bowles type of cornerback. Um, you know, he can play zone. He can play man. Um, he's twitched up cornerback. I, I just – I think um, – with Dean into going into his final year with Carlton Davis uncertainty, does he get traded? Does he stay? Um, you know, still with injury stuff. I think Zion played some safety last year, some nickel last year. They want to find a way to get him on the field. Um, but I know, uh, I think, you know, preparing one eye towards the future, you're going to need a starting cornerback. And I think Enos Rigstraw um, has tremendous ability there. Um, my second round pick, um, uh, why not? What the hell? Um, <laughs> is uh, Jaden Hicks, safety out of Washington State. Colin, I love this kid. He's my favorite, one of my favorite kids in the draft. True three-level safety. Can play all three levels. Uh, he does most of his dirty work in the box, which allow Antoine Winfield Jr. to play free and run around and be that free safety that he's so good at. Um, but he's also not a liability like a guy like Ryan Neal was, where you can drop him back in coverage to bring Antoine Winfield down and do what he does best and disrupt the play from the box. So, I love those two picks. My final day two pick, and then I'll I'll get your thoughts on the first three. Is I told you I wanted to wait, and and I think I think Jason Light feels the same way about the interior line position. And I go guard, 
Mason McCormick from South Dakota State, a former tackle moving inside, a small school guy, surprise, surprise, um, that really transitions best from tackle out to the outside inside guard position. I think he'd be a perfect fit for what the Bucs uh, want to do. Um, I consider Christian Mahogany here. I, I think Christian Haynes will be off the board by the time they get to them in the third round. But that was my first three picks. Enos Rakestraw, Jaden Hicks, Mason McCormick. I think it gives you at least two starters right away. And potentially, if you do move in from Carlton Davis, a guy who can challenge Simon McCullough for that starting spot. Yeah, man. I mean, it's interesting, you know, two DBs in, your, in the first two rounds. But Todd Bowles always says you can never have enough. You can never have enough of them. And uh, Rake Straw is a player, and you're totally right in terms of him being a guy Todd Bowles would be into. It's going to be kind of pick your poison. It's going to be a preference based on how these these cornerbacks, these top cornerbacks go off. There's a clump of seven of them who, honestly, some might have completely backwards in terms of how they rank them from one GM or one war room to another. Um, I, I really like the Jaden Hicks pull there. 6'3", great length. He's a tackling machine. Like. Yeah. I, I'm into that one for sure at the safety posi- position. The Bucks are going to have to find a way to address that. And I think um, in terms of the end, I would have liked Mahogany if he was there um, for, I, I don't know a, a ton about, is it McCormick you said? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know enough to speak on him specifically. I've not gotten that far into my draft, my draft work yet, but definitely need an interior offensive lineman, man. That's for sure. And uh you know, hopefully they'll be active in free agency as well, potentially, because there's some guards and centers who are going to be available um, in free agency potentially as well. So that's another avenue that would open up the door to, say, doing something crazy like JC just did and drafting two defensive backs with your first two picks. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple centers they could get on the free agent market. I won't go through what my battle plan is, but the kind of works into that. Um, and, and there's some guards too. And, you know, if you do get a center, that kind of allows you to um, – put Robert Hainsey in a competition for that spot um, at left guard with the young kids. So uh, rounding out the draft, we only have the bucks have potentially have a seventh round pick comp pick, but it hasn't been confirmed yet. Um, it was at, in the beginning, Lance Zerline said that they were not getting a comp pick with his projections back in like June of last year. Um, recent projections show that they could be getting one from Mike Edwards. So I have not found anywhere that has confirmed that yet um, because obviously coaching hires um, for, you know, um, for, for hiring someone that, that that's of that thick background um, that's been on the roster for more than two years, you get those comp picks. So sometimes those can bump things out. So I didn't include an, an extra seventh round, just a, you know, warning out there. Um, if it becomes, if I can find somewhere, trust me, I looked everywhere today. If I can find somewhere that that approves it, confirms it. I know Over the Cap has it. I know Pro Football Focus has it, but I'm not doing it until I finally, you know, get the get the word. But without further ado, um, Christian defensive lineman Christian Boyd in, from Northern Iowa uh, is the fourth round pick, sixth round pick. Christian Boyd, I think they need another defensive tackle, just straight as it is. And he's a guy who's got some versatility to play on the edge. He can play a little bit inside as well. Um, and they only have really three defensive linemen on the roster with Logan Hall, Clyde Cansey, and Vita Vea. They do have Mike Green, but still he's an undrafted guy who made the team this year out of camp but then missed a bunch of time. What is he? You know, they've got POC as a free agent, Patrick O'Connor, uh, Greg Gaines, Will Golston, Dedrick Sanat. They do have like C.J. Brewer and – 
some other guy, Eric Banks, and some guy I can't pronounce from Canada. You probably know who he is. Um, <laughs> um, but like they need some, they need some depth there, some quality depth. So I think this draft is not a good draft, like most drafts have been for defensive linemen. But I think this is a solid prospect they can pick up in the fourth round and get some chew up some you know reasonable snaps and definitely just play a little special teams for him. Uh, in the sixth round, I have running back Isaiah Davis from South Dakota State. So Jason likes to dip from multiple schools sometimes. He also likes to dip in multiple positions. I don't have him dipping at multiple positions this year, but I do have him dipping from the same school. Mason McCormick, the guard that we took in round three, um, and Isaiah Davis, the, the running back that we saw at South Dakota State. My thing is you're watching, right? You're watching the guard, and then why do the running back just keeps popping off at you? Because this is a kid that the Bucks sorely missed last year. He's a downhill force. He can run in between the ta- tackles, get that tough yard. He's 6'2", 240 pounds. He's a guy who's got nimble enough to make defenders miss. Uh, he's not a threat in the passing game, but he's not a liability either. Good in pass pro. Um, I think that's what the Bucks need. I don't think they need a Ray Davis type. I don't think they need you know one of these you know running, rushing um receiving running backs. They need someone who can lower the shoulder. I think Chase Emmons is likely back. They've got Sean Tucker, who's going to be back on this roster too. I think they need a guy who can bruise and get that tough yard when they need to because they've struggled with that the last two seasons beyond. Uh, but really the last two seasons has been highlighted. So I think he's the perfect guy for that. And then the seventh round, you're at 244, 244. It's like throw a, throw something in the wind and see what sticks. Um, and I think, um, you know, they probably could use another linebacker um, to start to, they don't have really one on the roster. They've got V Jones, but who like, you know, they, they need someone that they can develop to just in case this is uh, Levante David's next last year. They've got KJ Britt. They've got Savasia Dennis. I ended up going with John Trey Hunter from Georgia, Georgia state. He was a, um, a safety for the first three years. So he's kind of that safety hybrid. He's phenomenal in coverage. Um, he definitely, he's got good read and react ability. Um, he can get a little bit tougher, um, you know, in between the lines, has a little bit of trouble disengaging, um, but he only played one year at linebacker, and that just comes with getting a little bit stronger, but he's got good size, good speed, and good instincts, and uh, that kind of rounded out my draft. Um, I'll give a little bit more, kind of go in depth about that, but your thoughts on the second half. Yeah, man, I think you. I think you got a bunch of the positions there. I mean, um, and based on what you're you're saying about about those guys, that seems like a fit. I especially like the linebackers, a coverage specialist to an extent, and um, just one year linebacker under his belt. I mean, that that automatically makes you think high ceiling, right? Especially a guy who's athletic and nimble enough to to defend the pass. I think Buccaneers fans know all too well the struggles with having a guy who feels like a liability in that area of the game, and conversely have had the pl- privilege of watching one of the most well-rounded linebackers in you know the last decade plus in Levante David please be back Levante for our for our <laughs> beloved Buccaneers faithful um you know so you got to find a way to do that um yeah man I like some of those picks I like where, where your rationale behind the running back a little bit more of a bruiser to pair with Rashad White um who is such a great pass catcher himself and so effective in space so finding a complimentary back would work. I, I'm you mentioned the name Sean Tucker. I'm hoping we see a different version of Sean Tucker this year with a full season. He felt a little bit lost in the moments there. He's got to pick up his pass pro. Um, that was a big thing that kept him off the field was pass pro. But he's he's still got a lot of potential and I think people kind of forgot about him at the end. Like that dude has serious talent still. 
Um, and I would love to see him really focus on identifying and picking up blocks and finishing blocks and um, understanding coverages a little bit better because if he can come into training camp and show that he's made strides in that area, then he'll get the chance to tote the rock a little bit and show what he can really do, right? But if you're thinking on the field, you're not playing. Like, like you, it needs to be instinctive, right. and that, that that's a big adjustment for running backs in pass protection. Take some guys a lot of years. I mean, look at Ronald Jones, man. <laughs> like, he didn't figure it out before he was, you know, without a team. So right. um, it's a common story, but just a couple thoughts I have uh, based off of some of the picks you mentioned there in that in that mock draft. I like it, JC. I look forward to reading uh, reading your breakdown when that comes out. Yeah, yeah, it's it should be out this week. I'm just kind of putting the final touches on it. Um, like I said, trying to get that series out as well so it matches up so we can get it out prior to free agency or else that's a wash. Um, so just putting the finishing touches up it while still trying to do everything else, full-time job, being a dad, um, all that fun stuff. So, um, But that's going to do it for us here today. Uh, Colin, do you have any other any final thoughts or anything like that? No, man, I'm I, I'm excited to to just dig into more of these draft prospects and and you know develop my own stronger opinions on them. Um, so I'm still early in that process, working through working my way through different position groups and getting a little deeper into the draft. But I'm just excited about that. You know, combine coming up. Um, a lot, a lot. There's gonna be a lot shaking and moving, and I'm really curious to see what happens with like even just other teams, man. Like the Bears, like. At the top, what are the Bears going to do and the trickle-down effects of that? Who's going to go and get their quarterback? Where's Kirk Cousins? Like, there's so many moving parts, especially yeah. at the most important position in the sport. Um, very interested to see how all that shakes out. Yeah, it's going to be a fun offseason. It always is a fun offseason, isn't it? So uh, I love the season, but I really truly fell in love. You know, part of me fell in love with football in the offseason. Um, you know, it, it's just a lot of fun from – now until really the draft comes and then and you get into that lull it's a different type of fun though now as as someone who's in it where you know i go to rookie mini camp and i go to the otas and the and and the mandatory mini camp so before training camp so that used to be like just the lull now it's a lot of fun being able to experience all that stuff in person when i just read about it after i enjoyed my offseason stuff so um that's gonna do it for me colin um tell me where they can find you um, obviously over at Sports Illustrated Bucks Game Day, but where on Twitter can they find you? Uh, you stole the handle, so good for you. Yeah, my my uh, my Twitter handle is at si underscore Buccaneers. Uh, shoot me a follow on there, and then um, the Bucks Banter YouTube channel. We've been we've been on a hiatus, but you never know when we're gonna fire it back up. Uh, JC's been a friend of the program for quite a while, so we have you know quality guests like him on there but hopefully we'll be collaborating as well with something for si but anyway if you want to give me a, a subscription it's bucks banter on youtube si underscore buccaneers on twitter awesome colin thanks so much for being here guys uh thanks so much for hanging out with us um obviously we we went a little bit longer but good conversation breeds that uh as it usually does on this show we'll be back uh later this week i'm trying to line up a guest for that still I'm um, not sure if I want to see if I can get one of the guys on or if we want to kind of dive into free agency or save that for next week. So I'll figure it out. You guys will see it when it comes out. Um, but that's going to do it for us here. So without ado, peace out. We're out of here. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the sick podcast Pirate Parlay on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.